Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottoms. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. Today, Dr. Lakeisha Odom joins us on the podcast. Dr. Odom is a scientific program director at the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research, where she pursues her commitment to promoting the use of innovative science, collective impact, and the development of public-private partnerships to tackle today's complex challenges in food and agriculture. She is also extremely committed to cultivating increased diversity in a new generation of food and agriculture scientists. At FAR, Dr. Odom spearheads scientific direction of the Soil Health Challenge area and manages a portfolio of projects that address issues in sustainable water management, plant efficiency, ecosystem services, crop pest and disease detection, and developing the next generation of food and agricultural leaders. Dr. Odom received her bachelor's in environmental science from Tuskegee University, her master's in environmental resource policy from the George Washington University, and her PhD in integrated biosciences from Tuskegee University. Well, Lakeisha, you and I met several years ago at the annual Soil Health Institute conference, and I have such a great appreciation for the work you're doing, and I'm excited to have you here on the podcast today. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Kim. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. You know, we love to start our conversation with your story and in the capacity that you serve and what some of the steps were in your journey to advance as you look at regenerative agriculture, building soil health, moving ag paradigms. And I know you have a neat story about how you got into agriculture. So I'd love to, I'd love to have you tell our listeners that. I'm very happy to share that. So originally I'm from Mobile, Alabama, but a number of my family grew up in Choctaw County. Um, So I think always surrounded by ag, but did not want to work in ag at all. Didn't want to do it. And yet here I am, right? And I love it now, but you know, youth is, what is it? Wisdom is wasted on the youth, (laughs) on the young. And so um, initially I started out working in uh, the US EPA in their brownfields. Um, office in the Office of Research and Development. And then I decided I would like to go back and to get my doctorate. And a lot of the work I had, um, the experience I had in my undergrad was in soil health, plant health. I went to a land-grant university, a historically black land-grant university, Tuskegee, Alabama, uh, Tuskegee University in Tuskegee, Alabama. And so I think just over time, that was kind of the even though I started out looking at more environmental questions, it had a lot of ag undergirding and foundation. So when I decided that I wanted to go back and get my PhD, a lot of that soil health, soil science, plant science work was kind of the foundation. So I really wanted to look at the impact of um, different practices on soil health, microbial diversity, enzymatic activity, how healthy the soil is, how effective and productive the soil is. And then when I was doing a lot of my work at Tuskegee, I had the opportunity to work with some black belt farmers, some smallholder farmers in Alabama and just understanding and getting a, a really 
it was just the beginning of me learning like how um, important farmers and ranchers are and the challenges that they face in productivity and the things that science can do to help that, right? So I think that's really where a lot of my interest in those spaces started. And then the program I attended at Tuskegee was integrative. So um, it was an integrative biosciences program. And the intention of the program was to cross disciplines. So I think that was also the start of me being interested in multiple types of scientists and, and folks working together to solve problems. So I think like it just steadily built on where I ended up and thinking about how to move our paradigms and, and really starting to build soil health. After I left Tuskegee, I was at USDA for a couple of years, um, working in the US, uh, the APHIS Biotechnology and Regulatory Service Office. And then the opportunity to switch over and go come to FAR came about. Part of that was, um, the thing that was intriguing to me was there was a new organization, um, the goal of which was to create uh, increased research funding through public-private partnerships. And so it was kind of pulling together all, I was in, all the things I'm interested in, working together, solving problems in ag. And it really had a focus, or FAR really has a focus in, in, in diversity of thought and making sure that farmers and ranchers are at the table, making sure industry, federal partners, non-federal partners. And I think that's so exciting and interesting to me. And I'm sure you guys at Ag Emerge have that same mentality of you want a number of stakeholders at the table to solve these really complex problems and you can't do it by yourself. So, and also they had just started in 2014, they were written into the Farm Bill FAR was. And so it was this, also this opportunity to create something, right? To help to create a vision. And I think a lot of my work in academia and in the, um, in the federal space, I'm not, I didn't feel like I was creating anything. I was definitely helping to implement, but not create. And so this, this very daunting, I was terrified <laughs> but I really wanted to, to have the opportunity to move into a different space and, and function in a different way. So I think that all of those things building together, like my experience at a historically black college, my experience as the granddaughter of a farmer, my experience as working with um, smallholder farmers, all of those things started to build. And then having that federal experience from USDA and EPA, but then moving into another space where we work closely with our federal partners, but we really get to reach out to different folks and start to think about what are these um, innovative spaces, what are these gaps or research, these huge areas where additional support and resources might be needed. And so I think that's what kind of landed me as far as my interest in complex problems and working together with people and making sure that voices are heard. I think all of those things combine and make me, you know, interested and engaged in being a scientific director at FAR. I love that. I, I love hearing the connecting of the dots uh, mm -hmm. to, that bring you, to, you know, to where you're at. And, and I'm guessing that um, there are some folks in our audience who may not know or understand fully what FAR does. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about yes. that? Yeah. So as I mentioned previously, we were created in the 2014 Farm Bill through bipartisan support and a huge goal 
was to increase the amount of research dollars that are available in the ag space, but through public-private partnerships. So the way that we accomplished that is the Farm Bill provided uh, funding to us, our corpus, and then we used that to find a, at least a one-to-one non-federal match. So we're, a, we're an organization that seeks alignment, partnership, engagement, and we double the amount of investment in particular research areas. So we have six challenge areas, soil health being one of them, sustainable water management, um, next generation crops, which is looking at breeding, crop breeding and things around what types of crops are needed to be resilient in the future, uh, health ag nexus, looking at that connection between food and nutrition and how if there is anything we can do through research and breeding to improve that, and then urban farm systems. So looking at those urban challenges that also are faced and then a lot of work around um, precision indoor plants and are there things we could do in that um, vertical farming space to improve farming productivity. So the thing that I really love about FAR is that I do think that we try to cover, oh, I'm so sorry, I missed one of uh, our key challenge areas, which is advanced animal systems. Um, and so from plants to animals to urban systems, I really love that our uh, portfolio of projects really look at kind of all of the areas that um, our producers are dealing with, and then thinking about how we can fund innovative science in those spaces to really move the needle, to really have an impact. We look for transformative, trans, uh, transformative and impactful science. And so uh, our six challenge areas are focused around that. Um, and as a scientific program director at FAR, a lot of what I do is look for opportunities for alignment, try to find those matching partners, try to find those research gaps, working with our federal and non-federal partners, as well as we work with farmers and ranchers quite a bit to get their input on what we will do um, and what they need as we look at what we want to find. I think that's really key that you're seeking out the farmers um, as you make those connections because that's one of the things that we talk a lot about at Ag Emerge um, when we bring together entrepreneurs um, and um, all of these data-driven information systems, technology, innovations, um, that a lot of times that stuff is done outside of the realm of, of where the farmer is, is wanting and needing information. And so um, I think that's really key. Do you see, do you have challenges there? Tell, tell us a little bit about I what think that. it's not challenges. It's, it, it's, a, it's opportunities. One of the things when you said um, things being developed outside of the realm, I am always so amazed at the amount of innovation that farmers and ranchers come up with on their own to solve problems, right? So they're a key partner because they can explain um, anecdotally what has worked for them in some ways and and they are kind of the pulse of what the challenges are and also where some of the solutions might lie right so I think that um, I've been so impressed in in different meetings I've gone to where you'll see farmers that are talking about how they increase their soil organic matter they in, they reduced what they increase their water retention they decrease their erosion they, they may have solved an issue that they had with some of their ruminants by growing different crops that they can graze off of, but they just figured it out, right? They just, they had a problem and they sought out a solution, right? And so I'm always so impressed um, by the wealth of knowledge that does exist. And if you're going to create solutions, you have to have all the innovators at the table. And farmers and ranchers for us are, are huge innovators. 
I think that's great. I, I see Monty smiling because he, <laughs> he tries to, to, uh, he's the genius behind all of this uh, idea and thought mm -hmm. and, uh, and also someone who um, uh, doesn't recommend something or a system without having tried it before. So I'm mm -hmm. guessing that we probably grabbed him from as beautiful a day as it is from maybe moving cattle from lot to lot or <laughs> uh, from Gray's Pen to Gray's Pen, I should say. But Monty, does that kind of strike home with you as you listen to some of these exciting things? That Well, Dr. Odom, I, I really appreciate you being a part of this today. And it's fun to hear your story. And, and it's really fun to see on a macro scale all the people who are working on this really large problem of what does, what does the future of food look like? Okay, bottom line, that's, that's what it is. How are we going to grow it? How are we going to grow it and improve our resources instead of continuing to degrade our resources? How are we going to make it better for people? How are we going to make it better for ecosystem services and, and do this all at once and do it quickly um, and, and completely upend everything we've been doing? So it's a, it's a huge challenge. And, and, you know, that's really why we created Ag Emerge because when we started our company, we were really focused on two things, no-till and optimizing nutrient management. And in the 90s and the 2000s, uh, that was cool. You know, we had uh, biological fertilizer, we still do, and it still works great, you know. And, and people who are just starting with us, that's kind of the, the start that they have with our biological nutrient-based fertilizer programs and transitioning to minimum or no-till age. And, and then, we, then we get them hooked on cover crops. And, and uh, But really... You know that that's kind of gets us to where we are today, and, and and it's definitely a step in the right direction. So, you know, when we're looking ahead, okay, what is what is the new ag paradigm going to look like? Mm -hmm. And 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 we figured out something. As smart as we might think we are, um, there are a lot of people around the countryside, just like you said, Lakeisha, uh, that have great ideas. Mm -hmm. And how do we bring them together? So that's why we have farmers, thought leaders like yourself and also uh, innovative entrepreneurs that are willing to take a risk and, and develop new products and services to make these things happen. So um, fascinating to hear that. And, uh, and I really, really appreciate the work that you're doing. So let me ask you a question in regards to when you are working with that, the public-private partnership and you'd like to see at least a one-to-one -one, uh, research match and, and preferably better to, I'm sure, uh, scoring-wise and effectiveness-wise, you, you look at for even better than that. But describe who that business is that comes to you. Um, are they, you know, the, the Syngenta, Kim China, Corteva uh, 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 of the world? Or are they little startups? Are they midsize? Who, what is kind of the profile of these people who are, are partnering with you uh, and, the, and the grants and the uh, research that you're doing? Absolutely, Monty. All of the above. Um, that's the great thing about FAR, right? We have projects where those larger companies like uh, Corteva, General Mills, those folks can engage with us, but we also have funded projects with startup companies. We also f uh, funded projects with other foundations that have similar goals. Um, I don't think that FAR really has a particular 
a limit for a for a partner just are you aligned with the things that we think will have an effect effect are you interested in engagement are you interested in partnership and we can definitely have a conversation so we have a wide range of projects we definitely tend to want to fund those projects that are a bit more impactful we like to fund things we call our consortia, which are usually a number of partners that come together to check to tackle a larger challenge. But we have a lot of open competitive opportunities that are perfectly um, acceptable for our smaller uh, funders, you know, like we recognize that everybody can't come in with two or $3 million. But in some spaces, the the $20,000 solution is the solution, right to the problem, right? Like, a, we can fund a 20 or $40,000 project. Um, and still get a really good answer to a challenge. Um, I think if looking at the trend, it tends to be partners that have voiced some sort of focus or strategic priority around um, increasing farmer profitability or regenerative ag or building soil health or um, increasing opportunity uh, crop types or they have these larger visions typically if i think i'm going to categorize all of our partners they have some sort of um, strategic goal to improve either the use of resources or how farmers and ranchers have access to those resources they have those larger visions and they tend to want to be a bit innovative so i think all of our partners have that in common but the size of our partners they range which is great i would love it i love the fact that we can work with kind of a, a multitude of partners so talk to us some about you know some of the success stories that that have been a result uh, of your you and your team's efforts there that just really stand out to you that you know you can share at this time absolutely so most of my success stories will likely be aligned with my challenge area but i will say that i'm very proud of the projects in my portfolio so one of the ones i talk about is our soil health uh, initiative which includes soil health institute soil health partnership and the nature conservancy so in that project we have three really strong partners that have identified ways in which they can coordinate their efforts and work together to identify metrics from the soil health institute's perspective and then to implement on-farm demonstration and then to look at challenges around implementation so how do you impact those non-operated landowners so that's one of the projects that i would say is definitely one that i'm really proud of i think i always say it's like the poster child for collaboration and it's really when we think about the types of projects where we want to take strong partners and allow them to coordinate their efforts and leverage to come up with strong outcomes it's definitely one but we have a couple of other projects that are just now starting but i'm really excited about them one of them is called open team which is looking at uh, creating this ecosystem of information exchange to improve decision support tools in uh, soil health so a lot of the challenges that we heard from our um, stakeholders is that there are a lot of great decision support tools for soil health but they don't talk to each other i have to re-enter my data over and over again and that just we recognize that folks are busy and this is hard for them and we really want to encourage and facilitate them managing their land more effectively also um, the thing I like about Open Team is that it addresses all scales. So if you are a small farmer to a large farmer, you have the same desire to manage your land effectively, but you may not have the resources to invest in a more expensive tool. So this is a way that existing open source 
decision support tools um, are working together to coordinate so that you can have one portal where a farmer can introduce information one time and then access multiple tools to allow him to more effect he or she to effectively manage their soil. So I'm really excited about the work that they're doing to, to collaborate and to kind of lift off ships is what I would say. The, the group that's working on this project, they're amazing, they're excited, they're um, really driven to improve decision support tools and soil health for farmers. And then the other project I would like to toot its little horn a little bit is our ecosystem services market work. Um, that's a particular project where it's looking at how we can, as you said, uh, Monty, earlier, these uh, ecosystem services, how do we pay farmers for that? How do we allow farmers to be rewarded for their great stewardship? Because that great stewardship results in benefits that everyone enjoys, right? So how do we encourage adoption of additional practices that would improve ecosystem services? But also, how do we reward farmers for that? So this particular project is looking at finding a way to uh, develop a market system that would allow farmers to receive payment and credit for that work. And I'm pretty excited about both of those projects. They were funded last year, and I'm just looking at all the amazing work that they've managed to do thus far, um, and all the work that goes into launching a functional national scale ecosystem services market, for example, but they're really pushing to look at how they can sell carbon and water quality and water quantity credits in the ag sector by 2022. So we're not just talking about innovation, but we're also talking about projects that are looking to be able to actually have impact in the near future. Two thumbs up to that one. That is awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We we really, you know, farmers want to do the right thing. Absolutely. Uh, no doubt, every farmer wants to do the right thing. The, the thing is, is that right now, our right thing is bushels, pounds, mm -hmm tons that's what we're told okay so we are going to give you bushels pounds and tons but people want taste quality uh, nutritiousness and all and they want to know that i'm not polluting the des moines watershed that i'm not polluting the chesapeake bay that i'm not polluting lake erie they want to know that I'm not affecting ground nesting birds. They want to know that I'm not affecting migratory birds. They want to know I'm not killing bees. They want to know that I'm not using glyphosate. They want to know that I'm improving the soil. They want to know that we're improving biodiversity. All these little things, right? But what do we give them a choice of in the store? We give them, here's a package with a pretty label. That's it, right? And they think, oh, that label, that looks the coolest. and I think that's what I want and I may pay a little more or 52% of them are like labels are liars mm -hmm. and I'm just going to choose on price and call it good but if they could get trusted reliable information people who want to vote for birds can vote for birds people mm -hmm. who want to vote for water can vote for water and that's going to take a myriad of technologies to come together to make that happen but when it does then the farmer is going to get paid for those things and guess what the farmer is going to do those things. Exactly. I think that that's the thing that I, whenever I talk to farmers and ranchers, what I'm impressed by is the calling, right? It's not a job, it's a calling. And how much or how seriously they take being stewards and good stewards. But how do we provide them 
the tools, the innovations, the strategy, and the financial incentives, right? Because it's real. Like you have to think about all of the things, all the amazing things that are provided to us by our producers, but then all the things they have to take into account, all the things that they have, competing information, bottom lines, weather variability, all these things they can't control. So what can we do? And that's what I think about in our solar health challenge areas. What can we do? What can we fund? What can we support that will make, by no means am I ever going to try to tell a farmer what they should do, but I want what, them to have a toolkit of scientifically sound options that makes sense for them, right? Um, Far is pretty agnostic about technology and type and should they do conventional versus organic? We don't do that. I feel like what I want to do is make sure whatever whatever farming system you want to use, you have the tools to do it to the best of your ability. And you're absolutely right. I think there's going there's a, such a hunger for on the consumer side for more information about if I buy this, what am I doing to the environment? If I buy this, am I helping climate change? If I buy this, what impact is it having on the world at large, right? So how can we translate that and allow farmers to be benefited because a lot of farmers are doing the right thing whatever the right thing might be they are though trying to improve their soil health they are trying to reduce more effectively use nutrients they are trying to do all the things that you're describing but it's nice to be acknowledged and rewarded for doing that too right there's no there's nothing wrong with that i think that's a uh i think that if we can figure out a system that would allow for farmers and ranchers to adjust their production systems that but that could lead to increased carbon sequestration or reduce greenhouse gas emissions and conserving water use if we can get to a place where those things are encouraged and rewarded and supported i think that that's one of those spaces that could be the paradigm shift that kim talked about earlier right i think that what you mentioned before monty is true like we have a paradigm of we need to produce the most, and that's what it equates to. But what if we shift that paradigm to say we need to produce the most that also protects the environment? It might be a little shift. That would be interesting to see to me. Like, What if we shifted and started making that a priority? Like, You produce the most that your soil can handle. You produce the most that is still putting back into the environment. Like, What if we kind of shifted that paradigm a little bit? And I think we're moving in that direction. I think there are a lot of folks that want to move in that direction with us. Well, I, I'm going to encourage, and I can say this, and I can get away with it, see, because <laughs> people can just tune me out. I'm going to say we need to shift that paradigm a lot bit. Okay. I think you're right. So, yeah, well, you don't have to say that. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just stick it in there. But well, um, <laughs> one, of, one of my frustrations, and, and maybe, you know, in our conversation here, I'll just watch you maybe shake your head on this one, but you can stay off the record. But one of my frustrations as a farmer is the current farm bill and our policies are designed to do, are designed to promote a commoditized, centralized, industrialized system that is doing, uh, they are making sure that you're doing the least worst, Okay. So you have to hit certain standards of residue cover and, you know, 30% residue cover. You can watch that soil go down the river all the time. Okay. But that's what you get to maintain your payment and all these things. And then a lot of times the equip funding is out there for people who are doing a terrible job. So we'll give you money. So you do a less terrible job. Okay. But as a farmer, when I was implementing new grazing and I went in to find out about putting in fencing and water lines and stuff, well, you don't have an existing resource concern. 
So you don't qualify for the equip. And I'm like, okay, so I got to create a problem in order to get funding. Uh, well, you don't have a resource concern was the politically correct answer, but what they meant to say was uh, yes. So, you know, we've got programs and policies that are just designed to encourage poor practices and will pay you to get a little bit better than poor. Where what you're talking about, if we have a consumer driven, market driven uh, uh, flow of information and, 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 and values of the customer connected to the farmer, then we're rewarding people for doing the right thing. It's kind of like what CSP was at one mm -hmm. time when it first came out, Conservation uh, Stewardship Program, mm -hmm. is that, hey, if you do these above and beyond practices, we will pay you to do these. And then, of course, it got gutted for money and, you know, nobody could sign up and all that jazz. But, you know, that was rewarding for the great instead of making sure you're not doing bad. So I think, you know, I don't, I don't see... Um, uh, government changing, right? Uh, that's glacial speed activity. But what you're doing right here with with creating that draw, you'll just leapfrog it and, and people will pay for those practices. And then all of a sudden they'll be like, hey, you know, I'm going to leave border strips around my field for nesting birds because someone's going to give me this much more for my non-GMO, non-neonicotinoid glyphosate free mm -hmm. corn, you know? And I'm doing that right now myself on my own farm. I get 90 cents more a bushel for sending it through a food processor that requires these things. You know, so everybody else is like, woe is me, corn is $3. Well, we're getting $3 with no basis and a 90 cent premium. Yeah, you could have done that too. So, I mean, it's out there and we just need to make that explode instead of me being one in a thousand doing that. It needs to be every farmer has a choice to go for higher value things. So, okay, I'm over my rant. Uh, but <laughs> that was not that was not a rant. You said a lot of great things. Right? You said a lot of great things around this this need for increased incentives. One of the things that um I just read a, a report uh through Carbon 180, I believe is the organization called Leading with Soil. And one of the things they talked about, which I was really excited to see. Um, was this looking at how there need to be uh, more support at the federal level. FAR is not a federal organization. We work closely with USDA, but we cannot affect policy. But one of the things we definitely do believe is that the federal government can, can invest in public ag research, right? So a lot of the things around the innovative innovations, the incentives, that technical assistance and education resources, all of that, I think we can say, even though we can't really speak to what should happen on the political side, we can say that increased funding supports all of those things. And it's, in, it's integral that we have some sort of uh, increase in technical assistance and educational resources as we come up with these new practices and we want to capitalize on them. We have to have some support. We also need to have some accessible and reproducible science and innovation. And then we need to look at, as you mentioned, there are these series of incentives, but how do we figure out new incentives or maybe look at how we can improve the current incentives. All of that happens through research, right? So I think that a lot of that support and a lot of piloting these changes can happen through research. So I think that you're absolutely right. There's a need for that paradigm shift. There'll be a need for things to happen at the federal level. But one of the things I'm excited about is all the innovation we see on the private side as well and how willing they are to work with additional partners. And USDA has been a great partner with FAR over time 
we definitely work with them as we develop concepts and ideas and look for ways that we can amplify the work that they're doing. We can never, we don't have the budget, the bandwidth. We're like 25 people. We're small, but we are mighty, as my advisor used to say. Um, but I think one of the things that has been really exciting is figuring out those spaces where we can maybe accelerate and amplify current work and then maybe address some whites spaces that exist that um, aren't being addressed, but we have support from the private side to look at those pieces. So I think what I would say to your very passionate soapbox speech um, is uh, working together, right? Like we have some folks that will need to work on that federal side, but there's a lot of opportunity, I think, in the public-private space to continue to work and push for these increased incentives and improve science. and 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 innovation and so i think there's a lot of opportunity in that space as well well that that is great and i, I really like your model of um you know putting money with with others who mm -hmm. have that uh combined thing so that allows your team of 25 to have a, a tremendous impact Absolutely. Uh, much much greater than yourselves and and really you're you're pouring fuel on fires is essentially what what you're doing I like that analogy. I think you're right. What we tend to find is really excited, really motivated partners that would, who wouldn't like to leverage their existing work to amplify, accelerate, and get to that scale that you talked about. Because a lot of it is that you are, there are a lot of yous out there in the world wanting these great farmers that are working at one scale. But how do we accelerate that scale? How do we expand it, right? So how do we take a great program that's maybe working in a particular state and see how we could make it national, right? And if if it's working in these pilot stages, how do we make it something bigger and better and more effective and more? So how do we reach more people? And a lot of that is additional funding support, additional partnership. And so those are things that I think FAR definitely has uh, in a short amount of time kind of established ourselves as a group that likes to convene, bring people together, partner, leverage, and coordinate, collaborate. And really, uh, that was the genesis of our company in California, California Ag Solutions, is I went there to take you know, no-till technology and nutrient management technology to the California farmer who was used to tilling eight to 30 times per acre per year. Uh, so, you know, and help them bring the basics, but then also had to apply it within their local context of mm -hmm. irrigation, full, mm -hmm. full irrigation, not supplemental, and uh, vegetable crops and, mm -hmm. you know, extended rotations and those kind of things. So, you know, that worked. And then as we grew into Ag Solutions Network, then we took things we learned in California to Montana, Kansas, Colorado, uh, and other places in order to and then it becomes this information sharing thing. So as we see different climates and different years and in different conditions, we can we can take take the best to leave the rest. You know, so uh, I know exactly what you're talking about when you have that collaboration. And if you find something that's working good somewhere, you know, taking it somewhere else is you know it's not going to ever be a perfect fit. But gosh, you got eighty percent of the business model or the research model or whatever that model's there. Just tweak it a little bit, you know, uh, put some different tires on it, you know, a little paint job and, you know, away you go. So uh, I love that, ask, what you're doing. And I will ask you, Monty, just to see if I could confirm this. Don't you see, like, as you go from group to group or from state to state, 
there's almost this electricity in the room of people are so hungry for change, right? So when you come with that 80% solution, they are ready to take off like a shot and test it. That's the part that I think is so transformational is the excitement that you see in the information sharing and how people really do want to make a change and make a difference. And so when someone comes and says, hey, I can help you get started. Like for me, at least in my experience, that's been a very, that's been a very powerful moment for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the fun part is, is that they're willing to work together on you to get mm -hmm. that 20% work together to, to finish off that 20% that, that, to make it work locally. And the other thing I see too, is uh, we have fun at the Ag Emerge conference uh, when we're all together on the breaks. Uh, you can tell as time goes on, as they hear more and more thought leaders, you know, we do three thought leaders in a row, just boom, 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 and a half hour break. And everybody at first, when they see the schedule, they're like, half hour break what do we need a half hour break for and and then all of a sudden there's this roar that starts you know on the first break it's kind of got a little bit of a roar and the second break's got a, mm. and then lunch you can't even hear yourself think they're shouting across the tables at each other all these ideas and what if we did this and that and it's just that amazing uh collaboration when we when we bring people together uh so i yeah, i agree with you 100 percent now uh, let's uh, <clears throat> talk a little bit about currently when we're recording this uh, we're May 1st here mm -hmm. uh, we're still on the uh, um, restrictions and uh, related to the COVID-19 pandemic um, you know those kind of events a lot of learning occurs within a social context and we've had that context taken away from us now for 45 days how do you see this impacting your work and that collaboration when people get together and you know you're in the field together you're you know shaking hands you're eating together all these human social functions are now been stopped uh how is that affecting your work how are you adapting to that what what what's changing in your paradigm today so I would say that one of the things that's changing in that paradigm is finding new ways to connect, right? So we're doing this via Zoom. Um, I've had a lot of really interesting and exciting meetings that have happened remotely. They, for me, um, for my personality, I think it's hard because I do like that one-on-one -on -one connection. But I think that this is just like we talked about a little bit earlier, when you have to have a shift you often will have technology kind of assist that shift. I think that so in, in how we interact, that has shifted, but people's excitement, passion, and commitment has not wavered in this time. I would say that I'm busier now than I was before the quarantine time started. Um, and so what I find is that people are really they want to make a difference, they want to make a change. And so that energy is still there to move forward. Uh, from a from a more programmatic side, I think FAR is thinking now more than ever about how we can make sure our food system is resilient and responsive. Uh, what we've noticed is the reality is that um, through this time, we still manage to eat consistently, which lets me know our producers are amazing and they're skillfully adapting to this unprecedented circumstance, right? But how do we support them in the future with this? How do we think about addressing supply chain needs in the time of a pandemic, right? How do we support farmers and ranchers to be more flexible 
and how can we find ways to support them in times like this? We hope that nothing like this will ever happen again, but how do we be prepared in case? So we've always known that farmers and ranchers have to be resilient and flexible because of the nature of what they do, but this is an added, added layer of that, right? And so how do we think about um, ensuring that we even have uh, trained professionals in the, in the workforce that can help to support that. So I think what is shifting isn't so much what FAR is doing, but maybe some future casting about where FAR wants to think about going. So we know that we want to stay in spaces of supporting resiliency and productivity, but how do we take that to the next level, right? So I think that it's not, a, if nothing else for me, it's maybe a recommitment of our mission and values, but even more a stronger commitment to that because of what we're facing right now and thinking about how we really can um, be more supportive and provide research and provide those, uh, those innovations that could really help to address the challenges that we're facing now that we can't do anything about. We can't control um, whether or not there's a pandemic or whether or not there's a drought, we can never control those things. But I think we can find strategies and solutions to adapt, to make things, to make our producers more adaptable to those situations. So let's say you've got that that magic blank sheet of paper, and, yep. and you're writing, and you're writing out um, uh, your your five years from today, mm -hmm. and you're you're writing down the things that. Uh, you accomplished that you just didn't think would be possible or surprised you or that you're just most proud about what's on that list when I'm going to read it five years from today? Oh, that's a really good question. And these types of questions are always a little hard for me because I don't, I don't think five years ahead. Um, but I think that um, if, if five years from now we have a functional ecosystem services market, if five years from now we have improved decision support for farmers, if five years from now we have more partners at the table thinking about how we can tackle reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, um, and if five years from now people are as excited and as committed, if not more than they are today, I will feel like I was extremely successful <laughs> and FAR was extremely successful in meeting our mission. That's great. So we described that picture a little bit. What impact does that have on farmers' lives? What impact does that have on uh, the companies within the, the food system? What impact does that have on the family at home? What are they Absolutely. going to realize or feel or see, smell, touch? What, what does a visualization of what you're going to do impact those people individually? So the first thing that when you said that, the first word that popped in my mind was support. So I feel like part of it is uh, producers feel supported. They feel as though the work that they do um, in ecosystem services, the work that they do to improve their soil health, the work that they do to sequester carbon and impact climate change and greenhouse gas emissions and the reduction of climate change effects, all those things are supported, are, um, are rewarded, are are prioritized. Um, I think the other thing that I hope that um, that people will feel is they will feel valued. 
they will feel that the work that they do is valuable even more so, right? Valuable beyond the production of a particular crop or, or commodity, but more valued in that we recognize the additional benefit to our ecosystems um, and to our climate. I hope that it equates to uh, more dollars in the bottom line. I hope that it's a more productive process, it's a more productive system. I hope that consumers feel that they uh, are voting with their dollars and that they get to support uh, practices that assist us in, in managing our resources more effectively. I feel like consumers, I hope that people feel more connected to the people that produce their food. Um, because so often I feel like there's a disconnect. Um, I do believe that that is changing, but in five years, in my magical blank sheet of paper five years time, people really do have a stronger connection to their food. They have a stronger connection to the people that have committed their lives to growing their food. Um, and that the people that grow our food feel supported. They have all as much uh, support, technical assistance and research available to allow them to do that in the best way possible for them. And then I hope companies feel that investing in, in improving the environment is something that some of them want to, but in my dream world, everyone will feel like this is a thing that should be sustainability, increased soil health, improved water quality are going to be missions for every company that, that deals with food. So I will dream big. <laughs> so I like those, <laughs> if you ask me, I want to dream that everybody is like thinking that, yep, soil health is something that we, is so important to everybody and it's a premium and we need to pay farmers to do it. And we want to select products that, that support that. Yep. All those things. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And I, I think that dream is, is closer to reality. And I, I want to uh, just share briefly a little bit on some choices we've made on our farm. Mm -hmm. I, I want people to know that you, get, you can do two things when you receive new information. Um, you can ignore it, not believe it, and just because it does, it challenges you're doing things, it challenges your paradigm. And that paradigm is a filter that your brain uses to exclude information so that it don't have to work any harder than what it has to okay and we learned a little bit about that from holly green and and some other speakers who have been with us so when we get are presented with new information um we can blow it off or we can do something about it and the problem is when you run into new information and you combine that with the farmer's integrity guess what you gotta do it so some of the things that we're doing this year is uh, we've elected to go glyphosate free as a result of Dr. Brown's research, uh, mm -hmm. or, or not Dr. Brown, excuse me, Dr. Bush's uh, uh, discussion, but also I've been aware of this for 22 years when Don Huber first talked about it, Dr. Kramer first talked about it, and we finally did something different. We, we got rid of it. Uh, we got rid of neonicotinoid seed treatments this mm -hmm. year because the work that Jonathan Lundgren has done and knowing that every uh, one kernel of corn has the toxicity to kill one and a half million bees. And, um, you know, that's pretty amazing when you figure out there's 35,000 of those kernels per acre. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we got rid of that. And we did that. But the thing that was unique is when I'm behind the planter and the vacuum fans going off, you know, screaming and blowing dust out, that air, it don't have insecticide in it anymore than I'm breathing. Mm -hmm. and that was kind of nice. 
and uh, we're not using talc and uh, graphite on our seed anymore. We're using a soy protein from uh, uh, dust. And it's like, huh, that isn't killing me anymore. That's kind of nice. You know, and we're growing non-GMO beans or non-GMO beans and corn because we've come to the understanding that that uh, non-native germplasm is actually assimilating into livestock and human DNA because they don't break it down to the simple amino acids. It puts the whole chain and, and we're getting little bits of things in there. We've learned that from research, but we've also learned that the consumer doesn't want it. Mm. So it's harder. It's harder to work with non-GMO. But we're getting a premium for it. Uh, we've been able to manage to where the yield differences are, are non uh, are a non-event, and uh, you know it feels good to do those things. And then when we've got cattle grazing out on our cover crops, you know you look at our field and it's green with cover crops, nothing's eroding, nothing's mm -hmm. going away. That makes you feel good. Cattle are out there; it's very peaceful, and you realize that hey, I'm improving my soil, I'm making a profit, and making something that tastes great. Okay, and then at the end of the day, almost on a daily basis, we're getting emails from our customers saying, wow, I love what you're doing. Man, that's the best hamburger I've ever had. That steak was awesome. I mean, they are engaging with us. So they're paying for a premium product delivered to their door, and then they take the effort to come email us back to encourage us on what we're doing. So that circle, like you were describing, uh, exists, and it is complete, and for the farmer, that feeling of doing the right thing, not hurting myself, improving my soil, making a great life for livestock, and feeding people directly mm -hmm. is an amazing, amazing feeling. So and, that, uh, that story made me smile. That story made me smile, especially when you talked about how making these changes, how improving your stewardship of your land is making you feel, right? Because that's the other part is that you want to ensure that what you're doing is in line with your values and how you feel and what you want to give to the world. So that story, I'm smiling ear to ear for the folks on the podcast that can't see me, but it's just such a wonderful story to hear how um, through research, you decided to make some changes in your management practices, but then that also then resulted in how you feel about what you're doing. And then you're getting such a positive response from your consumer base too, that they also are, are receiving those changes and they're really supportive of it. So that's a wonderful story. So we want to help everybody yes. do that. And, and we're proving it that it can be done, you know, in our research site, if you will, we're proving how can you integrate livestock onto cropland. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, then we can help teach others how to do it. So, it's an amazing thing that you're doing with your, your research projects and those kind of things. We really need to visit, you know, offline after this on how we could collaborate further. I'm sure there's uh, hundreds of possibilities. Uh, that, that's pretty exciting. So, um, but no, I, I really appreciate all that, all that you're doing and, and uh, connections that you've made with Kim over, over time. And it's just been a, a fantastic thing. And, uh, I would certainly, if farmers want to, uh, you know, learn more and, and get connected with you or have ideas uh, that we can collaborate on, what, what should they do? What, what are Absolutely. some of the resources and action steps they should do? So the first step I would say would be to take a look at our website, which is foundationfar, um, all one word, dot org. And then there you can learn more about 
each of our challenge areas and some of the focuses that we are uh, looking at, look at uh, funding opportunities, as well as one of the things we also do quite a bit is um, when we can all get together, we definitely have a lot of opportunity for engagement from farmers, ranchers, to get their views on the concepts that we're developing. So there may be an opportunity to uh, participate and let us know kind of how what we're suggesting how you feel it may or may not benefit you. So I feel like there are a lot of opportunities for engagement um, as we develop concepts. Once we've developed concepts, we're looking at ways in which we can increase our impact in the climate space. So FAR has uh, partnered with the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance as well as the World Farming Organization so that we can think about how we can push to have zero greenhouse gas emissions in the ag sector. And that whole initiative is to be co-created with scientists and farmers. So I think that there's a huge space as we're creating the impact that we could have on greenhouse gas emissions and ag for farmers to lend their voice and talk to us about what would work for them, what wouldn't work for them. How do we get to this big, bold, audacious goal, which is part of our mission? How do we get there? And I know that we cannot get there without farmers and ranchers by our side. Well, I uh, I appreciate that. And one final question. Uh, when were you coming up to the farm uh, so we got everything ready for supper for you? I and know. We have supper up here. First, I do, I, first of all, I had supper yesterday. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Hey, I'm going to where you're at. <laughs> I'm from Alabama, I know about supper. Um, uh, when we can get out of here, I'm gonna pack my little glad bags. I'm gonna show up at your door <laughs> and ask just, you what's just for let supper. Me know, just let me know when you're here. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much of your story, so much of yourself with me. And I hope that your listeners know a little bit more about FIRE, but if there are more questions, I'm definitely here to answer them. I'm so excited to hear of other groups that are, that are trying to build this new vision too, and that we can do it together. Well, we really appreciate you joining us. And I knew your passion for what you did would come right through that microphone so that our listeners would be able to hear it. And I hope that it gives them, again, some hope that there's some exciting things going on that we're not just talking about. There's research being done. Mm-hmm. There's partnerships being made. There's collaboration going on. They're not alone in this mission. And there's there's hope in the midst of uh, some significant chaos going on Mm -hmm. right now. But just the things that we've talked about today are exciting. So if people have ideas or things that they want Mm -hmm. to vet, we'll have those links, put those in the podcast information when they go to visit the link. And it's a great way for them to get connected with other folks that are innovating really exciting things. So absolutely. I definitely understand in times like this, the feeling of isolation and the feeling of just uncertainty and I feel all those things too but I think the thing that continues to give me hope is conversations like today where you hear folks that are just as passionate about being there being supportive being a source of 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 support and of of resource for everyone that's trying to help do this important work of feeding our country feeding the world right so so how can we better do that? That's something that I think FAR is continually committed to is figuring out how we can better support the folks that are taking care of us. I, I, I appreciate it, uh, Lakeisha. It's awesome. Um, Kim, uh, go ahead and set the calendar date for five years from now. That's and right. We got her on record what she's going to have done. 
and, and we're going to, we're going to follow up with you. And then That's the other right. thing is, is we're going to twist your arm and get you at the, at the Aggie Merge Conference one of these days. You don't have to twist an arm at all. I was trying to come this year. <laughs> well, I hope you have a great day, Lakeisha. Again, thank you for joining us and for sharing so much wonderful information and content with our listeners. So. Thank you. And I hope to the both of you, Kim and Monty, as well as all the listeners, that you're safe, that your families are well, that, and that you are trying to stay encouraged in these less than certain times. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we sure appreciate Dr. Odom taking time with us today as we explored the mission and some of the resources at FAR. We hope you'll check out the link in the podcast notes and note that there's just a lot of great work being done to collaborate in this space, finding new strategies, solutions, and building resiliency in our food system. So thanks so much for joining us today. 